Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24, uh, 50 through 53. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, Jesus parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you're, if you're new with us, we're in the middle of a series uh, that we're, we're calling Credo. And, and it's a series where we're studying the Apostles' Creed. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Apostles' Creed, it's, it's a short statement of faith that Christians all over the world believe. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that, that Christians disagree on, uh, but these are things that all Christians agree on. And this confession of belief goes all the way back to the fourth century. And it summarizes core truths that we find in the scriptures. And so last week, we looked at the portion of the creed that says, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day, he rose again from the dead. We looked at that last week, and we focused our attention on the work of Christ. And when we, when we refer to the work of Christ, we're, we're talking about what Jesus accomplished for us. Sometimes theologians speak of the work of Christ uh, in, in two ways. They talk about Jesus' active obedience and Jesus' passive obedience. And his active obedience refers to uh, his fulfillment of the law, his perfect uh, obedience in every way, conforming to, to righteousness. Jesus was actively obedient to God. And then when we talk about his passive obedience, we're, we're talking about his, his vicarious death in our place, that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, buried, and then was raised from the dead for us. And so together, Jesus' obedience unto death made a way for us to be reconciled to God and counted as righteous in God's eyes. That's, that's what we, we looked at last week. And so we tend to talk a lot about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, our, our favorite holidays are built around uh, these events, right? Christmas marks Christ's entrance into the world kind of the starting place of his active obedience for us. And then Easter marks his death and his resurrection from the grave. But what is often overlooked is that after Jesus' resurrection came his ascension, that Jesus ascended into heaven. Did you know that Thursday of this past week was Ascension Day on the church calendar? Unless you grew up Catholic or Lutheran or Anglican, you're probably unfamiliar with that holy day. How many of you know that today is Ascension Sunday? A few of us? Perhaps you're thinking, what in the world is the Ascension? Right? The word Ascension literally comes from the root word ascend, which means to rise up. And it speaks of the fact that Jesus, after his resurrection, after appearing to multiple eyewitnesses over a period of 40 days, rose up back to heaven, as Gus just read for us, and took his place at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The Apostles' Creed says, The third day Jesus rose again from the dead, 
He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's fascinating to me that the early church placed great significance on Jesus' ascension. While this may be an overlooked aspect of doctrine for us, it was not for the early church. In fact, they saw fit to include it in the creed. In fact, St. Augustine said of the ascension, unless the Savior had ascended into heaven, his nativity, that means his, his coming, that's Christmas, would have come to nothing. And his passion, that's his death, would have, been bo- would have borne no fruit in us. And his most holy resurrection would have been useless. Augustine believed that the ascension was so important to our faith that without it, none of Christ's work would actually come to benefit us. He believed that the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father sealed and completed his work on our behalf. And so this morning, I want to spend a few minutes looking at this doctrine. And I want us to consider three things that the ascension reveals about Jesus and what that means for you and me. Three things that the ascension reveals about Jesus and what that means for you and me. Number one, the ascension means that in Jesus we have a conquering king. The ascension means that in Jesus we have a conquering king. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, toward the end of the first chapter, he breaks into prayer. It's like he's writing and he just breaks into prayer on behalf of these Ephesian believers. And his prayer for the Ephesians is that they would have spiritual eyes to see that when Christ was raised from the dead, that he was seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. One of the core things that Paul wants the Ephesian believers to know is is that they need to know that Jesus is a conquering king, that he is seated on high in power and authority. He wants them to have an understanding of the lordship of Christ. Maybe maybe we have some things to learn from the Apostle Paul about how we pray. We fill our prayer times often with Aunt Susie's niece's cousin sister's toe. Paul asked God to open the eyes of his fellow believers to see the authority and the dominion of Jesus Christ. We need to learn to pray like this, too, because we need eyes to see the lordship of Christ. We need to pray this for ourselves. We need to pray this for one another, that we, that we would see that Jesus is above all rule and all authority and has all power and all dominion, that he has a higher name than any name that is named or ever will be named, and that all things are in subjection to him. All things are beneath his feet. Most theologians pick up on the fact that this word ascend is often used in reference to a king or to a ruler that is taking his rightful seat on the throne. Jesus' ascension into heaven was a coronation. He was being ushered into his kingdom. See, he left heaven in humility to robe himself in human flesh, to become a servant unto death. But having completed that work, Jesus ascended back to heaven as the exalted Lord of heaven and earth. 
Satan's sin and death had been decisively defeated. Jesus had paid the price for sin. He had risen victoriously, and he now took his rightful seat in authority in heaven. As the hymn says of Christ, crown him the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious to the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Christ's ascension means that at this very moment, church, Jesus is on the throne. And our greatest enemies are defeated. And so I realize that sitting in this room, there are represented Many struggles, many trials, many frustrations, many fears. Here's one, one thing that we need to know this morning is that no matter what life has dealt us in this season, we have a conquering king who is triumphantly seated in authority right now reigning and ruling over creation. Oh, that God would open our eyes up to this reality. But it goes further. Because in the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul goes on to say that not only is Christ presently reigning over us, but also that we are presently reigning with Christ. <laughs> Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. The apostle Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and listen to this church, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are united to him in such a way that we are right now raised with him and seated with him in the heavenly realm. Christ's ascension not only means that he is reigning as king, and it not only means that we will reign with him someday, it means that right now we are reigning with Christ at this very moment. You may not feel that way, your world may not look that way. But what Paul says is that nonetheless, it is a reality that when Christ was raised, you were raised with him. And when Christ ascended, you ascended with him. And you are mysteriously seated with him right now in the heavenly realm since the moment you placed your faith in Jesus. And Paul says that one day in the coming ages, God is going to give you a glimpse and an experience into all that actually means. That in the coming day, God is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. He's going to let you fully experience what is already yours in Christ. And until then, we live by faith and not by sight. We rest in the reality that Jesus is sovereignly ruling over our lives. He's on the throne. And Ephesians 1.11 says he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And so when we despair, when life is confusing and hard, when we're discouraged, we tell ourselves, Jesus is my conquering king. I'm seated with him right now in the heavenly realm. And he is bringing all things to their directed end. 
He is working all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He's on the throne. The ascension means that we have a conquering king who has routed our enemies, with whom we reign from now to eternity, and who is sovereignly ruling over our lives. Secondly, the ascension means that in Jesus we have a comforting priest. In Jesus we have a comforting priest. There there was an old gospel group called the Williams Brothers who had a song back in the day called Mama Prayed For Me. And in the chorus of this song, they sang, she prayed for me, she prayed for me, she prayed for me. My mama got down on her knees and prayed for me. That's, that's my wife's testimony. If you guys don't know my wife's story, uh, she was raised in the church, but she uh, lived rebelliously in her teenage years and, and walked away from the Lord. But her story is that she had a mom and an aunt who prayed for her. And in her freshman year of college, the Lord got a hold of Melanie's life. Thank God for praying mothers. Thank God for praying grandmothers. Thank God for praying aunts. And on this Mother's Day, I just want to tell you moms in the room, you spiritual mothers in the room, you spiritual aunts in the room, that there is nothing more impactful, nothing more significant that you can do for the children in this church than to pray with them and to pray for them, that Christ would be formed in them. But in Romans 8, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that even if you don't have a praying mother, you have a Savior who prays for you. Listen to Romans 8.31. The Apostle writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. That word interceding, It means to make an appeal or a petition. Paul says that Jesus right now is appealing and petitioning for you and for me. That Jesus is interceding to the Father for those he came to save. The ascension of Christ to the Father's right hand means that you have a priest who is interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you. If you feel guilt or shame this morning, maybe you're sitting in the room this morning and and the sin of last night is, is thick on your brain. Jesus' nail scarred hands and his feet are your vindication. He ascended to heaven as your priest to petition your forgiveness. And so when the enemy comes and condemns you, when you feel condemned, Jesus is pleading his blood for you right now. By faith in Jesus, Jesus pleads his blood for you. Jesus is your forever priest. Whoever stands in service to be your mediator, his His payment for sin was accepted. His resurrection and ascension means that he's not going anywhere. 
As the author of Hebrews says, he's a priest forever. And so when the accuser of the brethren peeks his head up and opens his mouth and begins to point out your failures and your flaws, I want you to know something. That Jesus stands to say, shut up, Satan. Kids, you're not supposed to say shut up, but you can say it to the devil. Jesus says it. Shut up, Satan. I spoke the final word at Calvary to Telestai. It is finished, paid in full. The ascension of Christ means that Jesus pleads his blood for you. And when circumstances overwhelm you, Jesus pleads his love for you. Paul goes on in Romans 8, verse 35, and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What Paul wants us to know, church, is that no matter what we face in this life, tribulation, distress, persecution, Famine, nakedness, danger, injustice, let me add to that, job loss, divorce, depression, heartbreak, anxiety, uncertainties about the future. In all these, because Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, because Jesus is your priest, we can say with the Apostle Paul, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Jesus, right now, as your priest, whispers to your soul by his spirit, I bled for you. You are forgiven. Rest securely in my love. In fact, you can be still. You can go for You can take a nap because I'm interceding for you. He does not sleep or slumber. You can go to sleep because he doesn't. He is your priest. The ascension means that we have a comforting priest. Number three, the ascension means that we have a coming judge. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32 says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We get a similar picture in Revelation chapter 20. When the apostle John writes, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible teaches 
that Jesus is coming again to judge the world. He came the first time in humility to suffer, to die, to rise again, but he'll come a second time to render judgment, to settle accounts, and to usher in his kingdom. This is not a popular doctrine, but it's a true doctrine if we believe the Bible. And this news of Jesus' coming judgment, that he is not only a comforting priest and a conquering king, but he is a coming judge, it is either the most terrifying or the terrific news that you could ever hear. If you are not in Christ, it is terrifying news. That Jesus is coming to settle accounts. That you are going to be judged based upon what you have done in this life. Judgment will be rendered. Justice will prevail. Jesus will settle accounts. Johnny Cash sang a song, God's going to cut you down. Jesus is coming. Are you in Christ? Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25 to picture his coming kingdom, to picture heaven. And the picture is of a great wedding feast that a king is throwing for his son. And the story Jesus tells is that the king invites all who will come to come. And he makes every provision for them to come to the feast, including the garments they're to wear at his party. And at the end of Jesus' story, there's one who's trying to get into the party, but he does not have the proper attire on. And when the king sees it, he has the man kicked out. And the picture here is that God has made every provision for us to be a part of Jesus' coming kingdom, including the robes of Christ's righteousness, that we can't get into the party on our own goods. We can't come dressed on our own righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ to put on. But God has provided it. He's given us a robe to wear if we will merely heed the call to come to the party and to to put on Christ by faith, to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for the cleansing of our sins, to be made right with God. God's done everything, but you're not going to get in without Christ's righteousness. You don't get to come into the kingdom without Jesus. Judgment is coming. But if you're in Christ... The fact that Jesus is coming again soon is the best news that you could ever hear. Here's what it means, church. What it means, church. It means means that justice is coming for you. If you've been dealt with unjustly in this life, your vindication is coming. It means that there is not one ounce of suffering in your life that is unmeaningful. Every trial, every tear will prove to be meaningful and the judgment rendered to you will be come. You who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It means that faith will be made sight. It means that joy and beauty will come beyond your wildest imagination. The Heidelberg Catechism asked this question. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? And it answers this way, that in all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and I eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. And he will cast all his his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy 
in glory. What comfort is it to us that Jesus is coming to judge the world? It means sin and Satan and death will be finally, definitively, forever done away with. There will be no chance of sin in the new creation. It's going to be bliss. It's going to be beautiful. One of my, one of my favorite movies as a child is, is, was, it's, it's really still one of my favorite movies, is Willy Wonka and the Cho- Chocolate Factory. And when I think about that day, that last day when Jesus comes and being welcomed into the kingdom that God has been preparing since the foundation of the world, I think about that moment in the movie where the, where the kids who had the golden tickets were, were, were welcomed into the Wonka room for the first time. And they see Wonka's delectable world, right? Full of color. Everything's bright and edible. Right? You can eat everything. There's a chocolate waterfall. I think that's kind of how the new kingdom is going to be. When, when Jesus welcomes and says, come, you who are a part of my kingdom, enter into the blessing. And he, he, he opens the door to eternity and we step in and get to see the new creation that Jesus has been preparing for us since the foundation of the world. But if you remember in that movie, Wonka runs into an issue with letting these kids into his factory. They, these kids are nasty little boys and girls. And they pose a threat to his factory because one gluttonous child, Augustus Gloop, falls into the chocolate river. right? Spoils the whole batch. And what, what Jesus is saying here is that there will be no Augustus Gloops in the coming kingdom. Right? Because when Jesus returns, he is separating sheep from goats. He's not letting sin in. And so if he started a work in us, if he's justified, if he's made us right with God, if he's put his spirit in us, he's going to glorify us. We will be made complete. We will be made perfect. We will be made sinless. And he's going to say, come on in. It's, it's going to be beautiful. But if he has not begun that work in you, if you have not responded to the king's invitation, if you have not put on the righteousness of Christ, Jesus is committed to keeping sin out. He is a coming judge. Everyone's name that was not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be sent away. And so, in the words of Marcus Gray, we can seek him now as Savior or we can... See him later as judge. The ascension of Christ means that Jesus is coming again soon to judge the world. But until then, church, until then, he is in heaven right now, sovereignly ruling over us as our king, interceding for us, praying for us who are united to him by faith. He's coming to finish what he started. He's going to completely rid this world of sin. He's going to restore everything to perfection. For the believer, this is wonderful news. And so we wait and we hope and we trust in Jesus, our King, our priest, our judge. Let's pray together. God, so often the pictures of Jesus that are given to us in our culture that are given to us from history 
are of a puny Jesus, of a weak Jesus. But the picture in Scripture of you, Jesus, is of a righteous king, of a compassionate judge and priest, a judge who's coming again to settle accounts and to to finish what he started, to make this world new. God, give us a fresh glimpse of Jesus that we might worship him, that we might follow him, that we might trust in him, that we might not be given over to worry and anxiety. Jesus, you are on the throne and you love us and you care for us and you pray for us and you're coming for us. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us by faith to trust in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.